Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place, Avatar, The Last Airbender. Hello everybody and welcome back to Streaming in Place. We are finishing out week 17 here at the podcast and we've got a oh, book. Sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How are we doing? You said week 17 and I just kind of lost the lo- lost it a little bit. Anyway, go on. I'm sorry I interrupted. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. We're doing Avatar The Last Airbender, book three, episode six and seven. Episode six is The Avatar and the Fire Lord and ep- episode seven is The Runaway. So let's, the first thing I want to note is that we took all these guesses yesterday from who about from everybody about who the runaway was and without anyone picking up on the fact that there is a runaway on team yeah, there's been a runaway for since season two <laughs> we just forgot <laughs> whoops yeah it's because well, she doesn't feel like a runaway so yeah uh uh keenan says i have to leave early today but but uh may i just say that second only to our hero is falsely suspected of a crime and even his key- colleagues turn on him uh, I do not care for our heroes turning each other in betrayal. Cut to a 24 to 72 hours previously title card. Um, yeah, we will get there. <laughs> We're going to start with the other one, but we will get there too. Cause that, yeah, more on that in a bit. But first let's talk about Allison's big old called it. Well done. How you feeling? Uh, triumphant. Um, I mean, uh, in my not defense, um, I don't think that this was a particularly great pull. Um, I it sort of felt like it, some sort of Roku backstory episode was inevitable. Uh, obviously, Aang and Ozai were not going to be chilling. So it was not going to be that story. Kate's sipping water. So maybe eventually they'll be chilling. <laughs> she was just I'm thirsty. Just thirsty. <laughs> okay. Um, Hi. Uh, but still, I, you know, I felt, I felt jubilant enough about it to send a snide text about it. So <laughs> I must have felt some sort of gratification. Yeah, this uh, first episode is The Avatar and the Fire Lord. And I was actually, I was surprised when you called it yesterday. I was like, okay, we'll see. She nailed that. Because um, <laughs> when I see that title, I just, I assume we're going to cut back and forth between the two of them scheming or something. You know, uh, Aang and the, the color coordinated map and plan. And, uh, like, see, if, if this was just set in our world, it would be a binder. And Sokka would just I'd be, like, right there with him. Um, and then, like, to get maybe our final, like, finally getting some stuff on Ozai, because we haven't really learned hardly anything about him uh, besides bad father and, uh, you know, brutal bad person. Um, so that's something that will have to come later at some point. But this episode really is just all flashback. And really, it's a lot of context for Zuko, did you anticipate all of our Zuko content? How are you feeling about everybody's emo fire boy? Oh, he has so many feelings. It must be so exhausting. Um, you know, there's a level, we haven't really talked about this, but there's a level, there's a certain amount of like secondhand reflexive embarrassment with Zuko um, because I just, I just remember <laughs> being a teenager um, and being obviously not this level of tormented and not this level of angry or and not a fire kid of any kind um but you know there were there was the occasional slam door there was like a fine i'll do it my way like all all of that i don't want your help anyway that kind of stuff so um so on that level there's a little bit of a like oh yikes um 
but I just, I don't know. I think it's, it's really wonderful to have Zuko's warring halves be sort of laid out more clearly, I think. For him, not for us, we obviously have been able to see the guy who like sits up by the edge of the pond and stares at the turtle ducks is obviously not purely a soulless monster. Um, but for him to have like a more tangible explanation of sort of why he may be so conflicted within himself, I think is really cool and smart. Um, and uh, Iroh is just, you know, remains undefeated. What a champ. Yeah, definitely. Um, Noel, where are you at with this episode? And also, Noel, stop trolling Keenan in the comments over here. Because <laughs> Keenan mentioned, uh, uh, I, I did say to Allison that Ozai is kind of a fox. Sorry, y'all. Uh, to which <laughs> Noel says, Keenan likes the fascist boys. And Keenan says, see, I do not generally, pardon me, Noel, Captain America for life, but you can be evil and hot. And Noel going into a whole Captain America Hydra thing in the comments, which we all know is bullshit. So no, stop trolling Keenan and talk about this episode. <laughs> I will. Um, yeah, I, this episode is weird for me in a lot of ways in that I actively really like it. But at the same time, it's so sort of inelegant and clunky in its exposition backstory stuff of structurally of we're going to open with Aang getting a vision real quick because we really need to do all this. Um, and it just it feels very inelegant to me, um, even if I like all of the narrative. And I think it's really good. And I like a lot of like the callbacks to our actual show's past from... Roku mentioning it was bitter work to Roku fighting a whole volcano, which is something our group did. And I like all of that kind of stuff. Um, but just the frame and the execution of it, just it's not the show's top tier kind of approach to this for me. Um, but all the information is really good. And the big reveal at the end, I think, is just excellent like it's really really good and i like it as a way to really push not push drive home that conflict in zuko and so it's worth it i think for that last little bit uh just yeah it's just it's squishier than i like from this show so it's good but yeah yeah, I like the tension that they continue to play in Zuko. What I don't like about the tension they continue to play in Zuko is a thing that so many of these genre shows love to do, or and chosen one kind of narrative shows love to do, which is make everything about genetics. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just stupid. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, there's a warring impulse inside of you. You're not sure if you want to you know, embrace your nature or your nurture because your your nature is more, you know, for Zuko, I think we're led to believe he's more similar to his mom, but he's deaf. The nurture has almost entirely, except for the influence of his mom, been this, you know, with Ozai and the, the culture he's in and everything, which is, you know, far more violent and, and uh, controlling and um, just evil and bad um and so instead of just doing the, the like well the reason that you don't like all this killing so much is because your great grandfather is the was the avatar not because it's bad <laughs> um so i i do get tired of that even if uh i understand why they are going to that 
trope and that well and it does let us do this this story in the way that they did it uh, which i agree Noel is very cl- the setup is very clunky like how does iroh get the scroll uh someone in the comments asked about it i would assume it is through a one of the guards who has still is oh. attached to iroh Iro through um his time when he was you know the fire lord <laughs> um or you know the 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 heir apparent. The general and in line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have, um, so I don't forget, I keep scrolling back to it. Uh, Marcus uh, said we hadn't seen much of Ozai, so I, w- I expected a little more buildup for the, the this episode to be about Aang and Ozai in the title. And yeah, you're right. I imagine we'll get more buildup for Ozai before we go to a full spotlight like that. Um, then we've got, uh, Scotty says, I do think the fire kingdom clothes are the most badass. Everyone looks cool as hell. And yes, they, they, they do. Uh, Scotty says, does Zuko think Iroh got out of his cell and dropped off the scroll? Or does he think Iroh sent the scroll through a guard? My guess is guard. Cause it doesn't make any sense for him to get out of the cell and Zuko to think that could have happened. Like Iroh could absolutely get out of that cell if he wants to, I think, but it doesn't make sense for Zuko to think that. So what, what do you, what do you guys think about this? Oh, I assumed that it was Iroh and that he is able to leave that cell at will and is only there to radicalize his nephew. Mm -hmm. And if he can't, he'll just fly the coop. Uh, I just assume he's got a secret passage or something with the Lotus or uh, for a while I was thinking maybe Iroh is actually secretly also an earthbender. I don't know, but I... I do not believe that he is actually imprisoned at all. Well, maybe he could like melt the bar and like heat up the bar with his fire breath. Right. And then bend it out of the right. way, leave and and fix it. You know, I don't know. Or like kind of like how Toph can metal bend, maybe somehow combust the chemicals inside the stone or whatever. Um, yeah. Anyway, I assume he is not trapped. And when we saw that shadowy figure in the hallway, I was like, oh, well, that's got to be Iroh, right? So maybe I'm wrong, but I just assumed it was him. Okay. Uh, well, Noel, do you want to drink any water? Or are you good? No, I agree with Marcus that there's a little logic jump there that we seem to be missing. Mm-hmm. And I legitimately don't remember the answer to this. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, me neither. That's why I'm guessing and speculating yeah, on it. No, I legitimately don't remember the answer to this uh, question. Um, I feel like it was a fire sage, um, but I honestly can't remember. Yeah. Um, but in also my defense, I didn't remember the other episode that we're discussing this week. Um, today, I should say. So, yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I do think that the flashbacks all work really, really well um, in terms of, like, I really like this insight into Roku as, like, a young man. He's a goofball, which is delightful. Mm -hmm. I love the whole thing with him with Gyatso, which is just so good. Uh, That whole, some friendships just transcend lifetimes. I'm just like, Oh, be still, my little heart. Because it snaps, like, both Gyatso into a really stark relief, but it also snaps his whole response to Aang being the Avatar into a whole new, really exciting light that I really, really like from back when we got those flashbacks about Aang being chosen as the Avatar and Gyatso being like, no, we're going to do things my way instead of what you guys want to do because he's my friend. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, Oh, it's so good. 
Um, and then to transition to Marcus's comment, Sozin's whole thing seems to be, we're happy and prosperous, so let's make everyone else happy and prosperous by committing genocide, which is not an ahistorical claim for anyone who runs an empire and goes, eh, we should we should just spread this around. And I mean, that's kind of how all of that works. Um, well, Marcus also <laughs> says there's only a couple notable points where it was only, there were a couple notable points where it was only Roku's story, mainly the betrayal, which really left yeah. me wanting Sozin's side of the story more. And yeah, because I just assumed that whole like, let's make everyone prosperous by conquering them was like his best pitch to Roku. Cause he knew the yeah. actual pitch of, I want more power, uh, yeah. wouldn't go, wouldn't fly. Uh, so having a bit more perspective, uh, or, or, and also consider the source, right? So he's not going to write in, I was, I was power hungry and wanted to right, like, exactly. invest. he's not going to write that in his last scroll or whatever. Um, but it definitely felt like there were gaps in perspective uh, that would have been in an actual flashback or an episode set then, as opposed to an episode of people reading the stories, you know? So like if, if Zuko was able to actually travel back in time, a la uh, into memories, the way that Aang is, then I think we could have gotten a lot clearer picture of what was going on. But uh, while yeah. yes, no, it is yeah. absolutely accurate. That, that description of imperialist uh, motivations, um, the yeah. uh, it I think it, the our our sense of that friendship and how it changes over time and what eventually happens with it uh, would have been a lot it, it would have been a lot clearer and it would have been a lot more interesting to get more of of Sozin's side of it. Can we talk briefly about uh, the most heartless thing that this show has done since Appa's Lost Days, which is um, the sight of Roku's dragon, whose name I am ashamed to say I do not remember. What's... Yeah, it was rough. Do we know? Curling around him so that they can die in an inferno together? Just... <sighs> Just indecent, merciless, heartless, absolutely devastated me. Just... It, it's on Nickelodeon. It's on Nickelodeon is becoming a less and less convincing refrain for me. Whoa, yeah. that was rough. It is rough. And it's also like another solid callback to the show's own history with what Aang did just in the Avatar state when he crashed into the ocean. And yeah. It's a different sort of thing, but it, he, you still end up frozen in something. Um, yeah. No, it's it's rough. Yeah. So isn't such a dick in that last those last few things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also like Roku, get out of here as soon as your your yeah. dragon shows up. Like what wh I didn't understand why are you battling? I think they needed to do a I think the idea is supposed to be that he's trying to hold back the volcano so that the people on the boats can get far enough away to escape. And that theoretically, so far, they aren't far enough away yet. If he stops like ho holding back the power of the volcano, they will all die. But that, I had to do a lot of internal logic to, like, have it. Why are you fighting a volcano just to fight a volcano? Like, get on the dragon and run away. <laughs> it's not the dragon's fault. Um, yeah, I'm curious of how other people uh, thought about that. Um, oh, see, why, why are you doing this, Marcus? Marcus is trying to cause us apple-related pain. Marcus says, <laughs> the, I just had a terrible thought. 
the dragon is Roku's spirit animal and Appa is Aang. So will Appa do the same thing as the dragon? And you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say that Allison's right on it. We already experienced that in like the flashback and in the pilot. So we don't have to worry about it now. I don't remember if we actually do. I assume if we did, then I would remember it. So, yeah. What? Seriously, Mark. Like, you know I will give Allison all of the shit if anything happens to Momo. But, like, why are you doing this to us? <gasps> okay, so a couple other thoughts here about this episode. Um, Diego says, are Aang and Zuko a forced dyad now? If so, no thanks. And yeah, gross. Bad. Are we are we an anti-forced dyad podcast? Because I know I am. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Marcus defends himself. I did say it was a terrible thought, and you're right. It was. Wait, are we going to be? Are we going to become a Rise of Skywalker podcast? No, we're not. Where we just no, no we're not. Okay. Not right. I feel confident. Like I know I'm supposed to yes and and everything, but that's a no. Uh, Keenan <laughs> says I gotta go. The final thought: This show made a hawk seem cuddly and cute. Great work, team. And I feel like that's a good way to pivot over to our second episode here. Uh, which is The Runaway. And it's another standalone adventure uh, that sort of, again, sees some more... Because we haven't really talked about it, but then but there's been a lot of really good character building and relationship building in these standalones, especially with Sokka's master, right? We get to see some good uh, team dynamics and see everybody else just having these quieter moments. And we get that. That's what the majority of this one is. I did like that as we're seeing the whole team minus Katara pull increasingly ridiculous schemes. I was like, wait, are they changing towns? No, these are all in the same town. This is very dumb. Like Extremely you took the, you you took a guy who admittedly was trying to cheat you, but for forty silver pieces, forty. That doesn't seem like that is a good idea. So it's, it's a good reminder that they are they are young and do not have much experience with rough types, um, outside of you know rather protected spheres uh, i would say toph probably has the most experience with that with her uh secret wrestling or, or, or earthbending but like yeah fun but what are you doing guys elson how, how was the runaway for you oh they get they're consistently r- rolling uh critical fails for stealth yeah. um like they just could not be more obvious uh, and it's very stressful to watch because they just don't seem to realize it like Toph is extremely good as what she do- at what she does but all of the stuff she was pulling I was like you are bad con artists you are gifted benders and really bad con artists it is inevitable that you were going to get caught and I would think that even if they were changing towns and when I realized they weren't I was like you dumbbells what what are you doing um but it's a lot of fun and it's a great excuse to get into the team dynamics um that you mentioned kate because watching all of those sort of interpersonal things play out particularly because this is apparently for me now a a Sokka fan cast um Mm -hmm. watching his sort of emotional maturity and taking on sort of a different facet of leadership and the way he was talking to Toph and in his insight into Katara and just really wonderful and great. Also, I would like to go on record as saying the only bad thing that happens to Momo in this episode is that he gets put on Katara's head for a joke. That's not a joke. (laughs) Um, Marcus says some of those scams are literally just extortion 
uh, and Diego says, yeah, they definitely cross the line going from the carnival game scammers to the fake injury to extort a bribe. Uh, yeah, that's not, o- that's not okay. Uh, and Marcus agrees, uh, completely indefensible. Uh, yeah, I, I like, I mean, I think it is entertaining um, that for me, it's like they don't know what where the line is. They like, it's not just they're, well, they're scamming, but they're only scamming the scammers. So we're fully on board. I feel like that it's, they intentionally include that one in there so that we can be like not okay with them doing this. So it's, it's, it's not so easy to be team scam, you know? Um, and I, I did though very much appreciate the return of Sokka's beard, which is always fun. It's a different beard though. It's a different shape. Um, so I, I, I always enjoy Sokka's fake beard. Uh, who is thinking that Sokka is a guy with a beard that like, how does, how does that guy not know he's being scammed? Doesn't make it okay. But like, seriously, anyways, um, Noel, where are you at with the various scams and this episode in general? When I said I forgot about this episode, I legitimately actually forgot about this episode. Um, I've read the description for it yesterday while we were like doing our outro stuff and went, I don't remember this episode. <laughs> I know I wa- I've watched it before. I legitimately do not remember what this episode was. Um, so it was sort of interesting watching this and being like, oh, right, this happens and this happens. Oh, right, they've got that giant Ozai statue, which is not weird and scary and weird at all. <laughs> um, this episode's fun. Um, I don't, like, love it in any way, shape, or form. I think it's a perfectly fine sort of episode. I like the character stuff to a certain degree particularly i think my favorite bit is like the one with them talking over the pool while katara is bathing and then um Sokka and uh toffer over the ledge uh but the rest of it i think is just it's a very good sort of like quick breather episode which we're gonna need mm-hmm. um and so i really like it for that uh but it's just it doesn't really like excite me in any real way, which was a little frustrating. I think that, like I said, there's a lot of fun stuff in there. Like I love that wanted poster. Mm -hmm. The wanted poster of Toph is delightful and it is actually a very good likeness of Toph. (laughs) (laughs) But it it just doesn't like really excite me in any way. Um, Apart from some of the solid character stuff, but I still feel like we've gotten a lot of that previously as well. So it didn't feel like a huge shift in dynamics. What it was more so than anything that I like is that it does remind us and it reminds the characters that they're kids with parents that they've either left behind or have left them behind. And I think that's a more interesting story necessarily, but it becomes more subtextual apart from when they explicitly mention it. But as a subtextual motivation for it in the episode... I think it's meatier than the episode wants to engage with. Um, so I think it's I think it's fine. Um, but I will also probably immediately forget about it again. <laughs> I do think with all this discussion around parents, the show has really uh, missed a step by not having Aang included in any of that. And just yes. not having like maybe he just was from as from infancy was raised by the monks. And so he like, he never, like he had a communal upbringing. He didn't have like, like parents the way that these other characters did, but we don't know. And with 
how much they are focused on, like the how much the parents play into the action, either with Toph's uh, parents sending the people to find them or with, you know, trying to find Katara and Sokka's dad and with the trauma of the death of, of their mother. Like it, it should have come up and it hasn't. And that I think is actually a, a failing of the show. There aren't many things that I would say are a mistake um, on, on the show, but I think that that is something that it doesn't make sense that we don't know um, like what kind of a connection, if any, Aang has to the concept of parents or yeah. like well, his own parents. His own like biological, because Gyatsu is very much like configured as a father figure and like, as a father, really, I think. Um, I think we can drop the figure modifier. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you that he doesn't, the show's not interested in exploring that dynamic, which is which is a little weird. He doesn't need to have trauma about it or anything. No. But Mm-mm. we should know how he feels about it. He's like, I never knew my parents. You know, the closest I had was got you know like they even just like a line or two of dialogue like would mm-hmm. take that doubt away when we're thinking about yeah. these characters but um we, a few things we need to talk about in this episode um <laughs> was it um uh something something boom man sparky sparky boom man sparky sparky boom man versus combustion man combustion man very better very much better oh i uh, disagree sparky sparky boom man forever are you kidding it is much quicker to say it, like it just like <laughs> sparky like it's not good when you're yelling and running right it doesn't it for us obviously we're keeping that nickname as long as that character is around obviously but for them i think combustion man is a good call uh also let's talk for a second about katara uh waterbending sweat Way to go, you know, just make sure you stay hydrated so that if need be, you can make it work. <laughs> that I was very gratified by that because I think I asked you guys and I don't know what week it was um, because what is time anymore? But at some point in season one, I asked a question about and maybe there's still more to come in this, but whether or not you can bend humans because we're composed of water. Um, oh, maybe it was the swamp because of the vines. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know if this is the answer to that, but I've been waiting for the fact that human beings are filled with liquid to matter. Um, so it was, it was just really fun. And Toph's realization and um, the look on Katara's face as she was running in place, just really fun and cool. I also want to say, while the Slip and Jimmy scam obviously is not okay um that's not a good thing to do i am very pro katara's scam um because you know this the institution it's defund the police let's defund the police and if the best way to do that uh is to use um the system of bounties against them then great let's do that it's they were just obviously foiled in the end uh but the scam itself i thought was a good one I think we can all agree, especially if the result is armor for Appa, then yes. Yes, 100%. Whatever we have to do to get armor for Appa. Yeah, 100%. Um, do we have any other thoughts on this episode? I, I was wondering who you guys felt, like which sub-discipline, like which type of bender 
would be wood. Like the Sonic doesn't do wood, right? So like I you know, Marcus says I was expecting Katara to bend to wood bend given water content in wood and the vine bending man. But for me, I I mean, I don't actually know this, but wood gets dried out and stuff when you're gonna build with it a lot of the time. So like I would expect there to be a lot a big difference between bending wooden things and bending a tree, for example. Um, so where do you think that would fall? Earth? I don't know. I feel like water would maybe be closer, but not, like, not to the same extent like vines are. Um, but it's magic. Don't overthink (laughs) it. (laughs) See, I was thinking, um, I was thinking that if we think about Toph's ability to bend metal as being related to the elements present in metal that are also present in earth, then maybe the way to bend wood would be to combine earth and water bending because there would be elements present in water as well as elements present in earth. Although there are also elements present in earth present in water because Mm -hmm. of minerals so then that, right. so, and, and at that point I fall into a and hole air, of despair, right? Yeah. right? Like at that point I just get, all bending is the same. Um, I've broken Avatar, so uh, we should probably retreat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is you, you couldn't use wood cages if they had a firebender because, you know, right. just right. burn their way out. But like you would think that if no one can actually bend wood, uh, that there would be a lot more wood cages around and no but trees then again, anywhere. Yeah. Right. And, but then again, apparently nobody or very few can bend metal because they have lots of metal things all over the place. So yeah, we'll see. Um, Marcus says fires just released energy. So it's not related to matter. So there are two types of bending. Um, yeah. Hmm. So it's interesting. Yeah. Cause the fire firebenders don't actually need fire to bend like it it's an internal like channelization of like chi basically um i wonder which, if that's gonna come up again this season yeah no, in, in book three um, fire yeah no no way um so yeah no but again it's it's magic and i try not to get like too deep into that um because that way madness lies it's like trying to figure out how the force works and i don't i don't want to do that because then we have to talk about midichlorians, and I don't want to do that either. <laughs> no, indeed, indeed. Well, wait, are we will... going to become a prequel trilogy podcast? No. Is that what's happening now? That's also not happening. Okay. Uh, oh, but no, I really want to do not... that so I can discuss <laughs> no, that Revenge not... of the Sith is actually quite good. So the uh, <laughs> the next two episodes that we're going to do next week are uh, episode uh, eight and nine, and the the titles are the Puppet Master. And nightmares and daydreams. So, Allison, evocative titles. What do you think? Um, mm, for the puppet master, maybe we're going to talk about like fate and the like the origins of the Avatar cycle, maybe. And then, sorry, what was the other one? Nightmares and daydreams. 
Um, I, well, let's assume that that episode was guest written by Stephen King. I'm making a big swing here. Guest written by Stephen King. Solid. I appreciate and, that. That's good. Okay. <laughs> and it's going to be, um, a series of vignettes, um, in which we see all of their nightmares and daydreams. Um, and then, uh, Zuko and Aang see each other in their, in their nightmares. Um, and that's how we realize that they have a psychic connection. There. That's okay. my very big swing. I cannot okay. wait to, with a guest voice performance by John Leguizamo. Okay. Okay. Um, can I tease something? Yes, go for it. Day, uh, Nightmares and Nightmares and Daydreams has some of the cutest animals in the whole show. In Yay! It. So just prepare yourself for that. <laughs> They're very, very cute. Okay. Oh, I can't wait. I think so, anyway. I'm very excited about these animals. These were the animals I mentioned, <laughs> like, way back in season one. <laughs> so, I can't wait. You know. Yeah. And it would be hilarious, but no, he's not punking as it. It's not, like, vulture buzzards or something. <laughs> no, no, no. These are legitimately cute yeah, animals. Actually, I am not lying. Fuzzy cute. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, that will wrap up our conversation about these two. Thank you to everyone who's been hanging out in the chat today. Uh Nightmares is in ah. Marcus says, ah, "Are they ah. nightmares?" As in female horses? Hmm. They are not. No. But that would be cool. Um, that would be cool. So that's uh, Diego and Keenan and Marcus and Scotty. Thank you guys. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, we will be back next week with more Streaming in Place. Bye. Bye. Bye.